you know, we, we constantly see data breaches, comp- companies being compromised. You know, I think a good place for an executive to be is start asking yourself, could that actually happen to us? But not just thinking about it in your own mind. Actually ask people inside the organization, could that happen to us? Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. have you here on the show i know that a lot of people at palo alto have been saying you've got to you've got to interview sean and i know that even speaking to you earlier i really like what you have to say i like that you're real and you're raw and you're honest and i think that we also in the industry need a lot more of that so i'm really keen to sort of dive in today but before we do that we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey so can you please talk our listeners through where you started to where you are now. Yeah, sure. I mean, thanks for having me. Uh, so I started, let's just call it my professional career, uh, where I wasn't sort of doing part-time jobs or something like that at uni. But professional career, I started in 2000. Uh, worked in a company called Network Associates, which in turn turned into McAfee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was basically doing technical support for antivirus technology. Back then it was uh, the Dr. Solomon's Antivirus Toolkit. Uh, did that, started working my way up from there looking after some of the largest platinum accounts that McAfee actually had, and then decided to take my, uh, try my luck in actually sort of going into pre-sales world. So I became a sales engineer, worked my way up there to eventually become the sales engineer manager, uh, looking after professional services as well, built a relatively decent sized team, uh, really trying to sort of get, you know, the best and the brightest people together to, to really go out there and show what McAfee's technology was all about, how it solves a number of different challenges that obviously the customers actually had. Uh, did that for a couple of years and then eventually decided to try my sort of tact at going back to being an individual contributor and became uh, enterprise solution architect for McAfee working under the office of the CTO. And that was just really working with the largest accounts kind of across Australia, both customers and prospects, and just sitting in there trying to understand what is it they're trying to do, what projects they're doing, what the security around that is going to look like or you know what they're thinking it's going to do, and ultimately trying to sort of work out how do we get the McAfee technology in there. Uh, and then my final role after 15 years at McAfee was the Chief Technology Officer for the Asia Pacific region. So I did that for 15 years. And then for the last six years, I've now been the Chief Security Officer for the JPAC region here at Peloton Networks. Wow. Okay. So you started off working, well, not started, but midway through your journey, you were in the office of the CTO and then became that role. It was great to sort of have the exposure to not just simply be on kind of the, 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 let's just call it the front lines in terms of the, the selling side of it or working close with the sales team, but more around like the product strategy, uh, really trying to understand, listen to what customer pain points and challenges actually were, how does it actually guide the product and strategy. Uh, and now sort of at Peloton Networks, still do a lot of that because obviously sort of working closely with organizations, but today it's really around uh, working with customers, prospects, industry, government groups around how do we just change the narrative of what security means? So people don't just simply turn around at the exec level, as that is, uh, to not just simply turn around and say, you know, I've got one of those boxes or I've got a security team. You know, it's really around how do we just make you do something different? Uh, because security is everyone's job. Uh, so it's really around making sure that businesses understand that it's like any other risk, you know, cyber risk. And even if you drop the cyber moniker, it's just another risk that you need to think about managing. 
Absolutely. So I guess that was interesting, uh, po- a couple of points that you raised there, but I'd like to go back a step. And when you were working in the office of the CTO, because a lot of people out there, they, they may have never been in the position to sort of work in that sort of capacity. What are some of the things that you could sort of say that you really noticed that was really highlighted for you that you probably carried forward into your role today? Yeah, look, I think there's there's probably a couple of things that everyone's going to probably call out, let's just say they've, they've got a requirement they would love to see in the technology. Uh, let's just say it's some sort of a feature request that someone's actually called out. The reality actually is from, let's just say from the vendor side is prioritizing where that actually is going to sit sort of in the, in the food chain. Um, so a lot of the times that just comes down to time, money, effort, the whole bunch of things that you need to sort of factor in. And that's what becomes a little bit hard because it's also managing expectations because people assume it's like, well, I've asked for this, where is it? You know, one month has passed, where is it? Uh, so you're always trying to sort of manage expectations. I think what I probably learned back then and obviously keep on sort of honing the, the skill is really around uh, managing stakeholders, uh, managing expectations. Uh, and that's something that from that those early days to, to even now, it's something that constantly you use that in any sort of walk in life, you, you're sort of always going to be using that. Absolutely. Talking about managing stakeholders, I think that's something that because a lot of people that are operating in IT, their communication skills, some of the cases aren't super strong, right? So I do see that there's that challenge around managing uh, people internally, externally, stakeholders, customers, clients, shareholders. So I feel like that's definitely a little bit of uplift that the industry should start moving towards. And I think that we are starting to move towards that, but I still think there's still that, well, I'm super technical, therefore... Um, I'm potentially more important because you're just the communications person. Yeah, look, I, I definitely agree on that one. I, I think communication is by far uh, probably the thing that is always going to be lacking. And no matter how many things that we've actually done that are amazing, and I and definitely agree the needle has actually shifted a lot, there's still a lot of work to be done. And even for someone who is extremely technical, that's great. We, we need that. And if you kind of look at it from the security context, we always tend to teach people the technical elements around security. But I think probably, and you could agree with this one as well, being sort of in the roles you've done, we are probably lacking in the space of people that can actually do the translation between technical risk to business risk and back and forth. And that really is the art of communication at the best of times. So the more people focus on that, I think the, the better we're going to sort of be trying to solve a lot of the challenges that we have today. Absolutely. That's sort of why I got into doing what I was doing, because I could see that massive disconnect in the space and how things were getting lost because people couldn't explain them. It wasn't their fault. They just didn't have the, the skills or the tools to be able to do that. And I think when you and I spoke and I was listening to you speak and I was like, we haven't done an episode around what we're going to speak about today around disrupt uh, businesses sort of disrupting themselves. And, I, and like, how do you sort of ask people that? And I know that people probably aren't asking those types of questions and and as you sort of said do something that they haven't done before so I'm keen to understand what do you mean by this because this is everything we're going to speak about today is really going to fall back to strong communications and strong management skills as well because you do need to be asking questions that perhaps other people in the organization aren't asking but it could be because they're a bit afraid to ask as well yeah look I I think for me um Disruption is by far probably one of the best things that we could ever uh, do, embark on. And as a business, I think transformation is by far probably one of the best things that everyone should really be going through at some point in time. So if you use the uh, the most bantered around term, which is obviously digital transformation, mm-hmm. what that really means when you sort of break it down into, obviously there's, there's a number of parts to it and elements to it, but at the, the crux of it is really around how do you disrupt your business model, your operating model to do something different and leveraging digital as much as you possibly can. 
you know, many people see that as, you know, potentially public cloud is going to help them achieve a lot of that transformation. And, you know, if you think about the last 15 months of the pandemic that we've lived through, the first 10 months of the pandemic, we saw the greatest shift to public cloud than we'd ever seen in the previous 10 years. And that was a total 10 year period. So that's just staggering in itself. But when you look at sort of digital transformation, it's all about how do we do something different? You know, how do we break a process to make it better? And if you think about what the pandemic probably also did at the same time, it broke many models that we simply just took for granted. You know, I always use this analogy, which is not really sort of technology or digital sort of inclined, but, you know, before the pandemic started, we knew of people like Uber Eats, DoorDash and Deliveroo. You know, fast forward the start of the pandemic, you had restaurants that turned into grocery stores that were actually competing with the large grocery stores because they simply said, well, I've got some amazing suppliers. I'm going to sell their stock because I just had to do something differently to make sure that I kept my staff on the books and they were doing different things. Others turned into doing their own delivery service. So again, they're just disrupting the way they were actually deriving a revenue and just looking for adjacent markets to say, how do we survive through this? But then get to the point where you say, how do I now thrive? And then also optimize. So mm. for me, it's all about, let's ask yourself the question of what could we do differently? And what would different look like? And I think every business leader should always be thinking about how, what's the nirvana state that we could potentially get to. And it may actually mean that we have to break things along the way. That's good. How do we actually sort of turn into something you know better for us? Do you think when you're speaking to a company and you're sort of saying like, you know, how are you guys disrupting your business? Do you think people are confronted by that or they're like, oh, I don't really want to do that. Or I mean, in the in the situation of the pandemic, for example, people, their backs were against the wall. They had no choice. They had to do something. But now things are sort of dissipating. I mean, depending on where you're living in the world, but things have sort of got a better handle. Do you think people will fall back into, oh, but I don't want to be disrupted because the last 18 months have had disruption and I can't handle that as a leader. Yeah, look, it's, that's an interesting one. And I think it's it's one that I've definitely thought about where where people's minds will actually go to, let's just say when it's kind of all over. But I, I think we're constantly going to be disrupted. There's always going to be a competitor that's biting at our heels. There's going to be someone that's looking to try and literally just change everything. You know, think of the analogy or the story around Kodak, you know, their, their shift to digital. You know, they never saw it coming, even though it was sort of all around them. They didn't expect that that was going to sort of really encroaching their business to the point that would literally kill a large part of their business. So I think everyone is always going to be either disrupted. So why don't actually take it upon yourself to look at how you can disrupt yourself. And I think that's something that whether you're in the pandemic, out of the pandemic, we should always be looking for an opportunity like that. And it is an opportunity. There are a lot of people that will always turn around and think that, you know, this is going to probably encroach on my, you know, will I actually have a job? And, you know, I always think about where people talk about AI, you know, the Mm. machines are going to take over my job you know, naturally, we're going to keep on seeing this shift. If you think about, you know, we're talking about industry 4.0, but even if you go back to sort of the 3.0 piece where the mechanization and sort of change that we saw through agriculture and manufacturing, sure, that actually, a lot of people lost their jobs, but they also were redeployed to do other things. I would rather use machines to augment and complement the work that we do and actually get the few people that we've got to focus on, you know, the real material things. And that's where I kind of go from a security standpoint, why does the security team need to focus on 100% of the problem when maybe they can focus on 20% and the rest is actually done through automation, you know, artificial intelligence, whatever you want to sort of call it, because that gives me the ability to focus on the things that will really cause a material impact to the company. No, you're absolutely right. And I guess that sort of leads me to my next question is you mentioned that companies should be asking what are they doing today from a security perspective? Would you say in your experience that people 
can't really answer that question? Uh, look, I think it depends on the organisation. So it's not geography-based. It's not, um, you know, particular vertical per se. I think it's just one of those how mature an organisation actually is. And if I think about where an organisation actually is today, it's more a case of what could we do differently? Again, kind of that sort of disruption piece. Mm. Look, I've got a personal mantra in life of do different because I just think at some point in time, you know, you're going to have to sort of change and adopt an approach. And I kind of think of, let's just say, the last six years of what I've done at Peloton Networks, that playbook, I won't be able to use it for the next six years because, you know, you can't sort of rinse and repeat over time and time again. And I think every business should also think like that too. And from a security perspective, yeah, put hand on heart. Did we really solve all the security challenges the best possible way the last 20, 30 years? Probably not. We would score ourselves at A+, that's for sure. So what could we do differently? And how do we break that notion of this is the way that we've always done it, so let's, let's actually continue doing the same. You know, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. So how do we change that? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's so right. And I, I mean, speaking to people as well that perhaps are at an executive level but aren't in the security space, and they sort of default back to, well, this is the way we've always done it from an I, You know, I've had this head of IT in my company for 10 years, and he said this is the way we've always been doing it. So I kind of feel that that's hard and how are we going to evolve as, as an industry, as a society, if people aren't asking that question. But then on the other side of that, people who are asking those questions, people like you and me perhaps and other people listening, there's there's that pushback then. Well, why are you thinking differently or why are you trying to disrupt? How do you sort of manage that then and having and, and managing those conversations with people? You obviously, you don't want to upset people, but you, you need to ask those hard questions in order for people to progress and, and to excel. Yeah, look, I think that's a great point. And I think the, the best way, as we kind of started to talk about at the start, it's really around managing stakeholders' expectations, mm. being transparent around what we're looking at doing. We're not saying that we're making any changes right now. I think it's just more a case of let's just ask ourselves some honest questions. You know, people will naturally get a little bit uncomfortable by that because change is just one of those things that some people don't like. So we're naturally going to have to go through a process. But if everyone's coming along for the journey, and again, managing the stakeholders, you know, being completely transparent, communicating frequently. These are the things that's going to ultimately help people kind of go along that journey, that they're part of a process as opposed to, we've thought about this, we're doing it, done. It's, you know, not for discuss- it's not up for a discussion. You know, people will naturally get their backs up to that one. And if you think about just security in general, let's say even from a tooling standpoint, I've met many organizations that turn and go, oh, this is the way that we've always done it. You sit there and go, uh, okay, you know, I'll use an example of a proxy. You know, why are you still using a proxy? It's like, oh, the, the, this was here when I started. How many years ago did you start? Four years ago. Why are you still doing it? Because my predecessor did it. Okay, that doesn't mean that you should continue to do it. There's better ways to do things these days. So mm. I think it's just challenging ourselves around that one. And even if you think about, you know, we, we constantly see data breaches, comp- companies being compromised. You know, I think a good place for an executive to be is start asking yourself, could that actually happen to us? But not just thinking about it in your own mind actually ask people inside the organization, could that happen to us? And if not, what could we do about it? Or if it could hap- if it, it wouldn't happen to us, how sure are you? And let's check that. And I think that's just one of those things. Let's constantly keep on sort of resharpening the sword and just asking ourselves, could we really go through this? You know, planning, pre- being a little bit more prepared. You know, I always say that uh, no one ever picks their team the day of the game. So why don't we actually start working out from now? You know, in the event of like a data breach or a compromise, we should be thinking about this today. And that's breaking that model around how do we do something different? So what do you think people would say if a leader went around and said, you know, do you think we could be breached or compromised? Do you think people would say, yeah, absolutely, I just haven't said anything? What do you think people would say if that was the case? 
I think that and the honest the honest answer is I think every single person should probably have to say yes it could happen yeah um but that's a great place to be because we could start thinking about what could we do differently you know could it really cause a material impact you know many times I've actually sat in rooms where people are going through the risk register and you know you've got some glaring gaping holes in like the number two three four items in, in sort of the risk register but people are moving on to other things. It's like, oh, I've got this shiny toy that uh, someone actually told me about. It's like, how does it actually solve anything that's in the risk register? Or how does it align to the strategic imperatives? I, I think we naturally should ask ourselves the question. We're probably going to get the, a bad answer, but that's a good place to start. I think that was something that you and I covered in terms of what, if so, for someone listening that's like, I've got no clue, I'm a little bit apprehensive potentially about asking the questions, would you, would you, would you sort of say that, what are you sort of doing today, number one? And then second of all, would it be sort of, do you think that we're in a position where we could get breached? Yes, everyone's in that position. But do you think that's sort of where people who are leaders should start having that conversation to spark that sort of conversation? Because maybe they haven't even allowed for that conversation to even be had and people feel a little bit afraid perhaps of putting their ideas on the table. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are afraid to put on the table. But I think it's probably the better thing to do to start calling it out from now because maybe we could actually, you know, prevent something from actually happening in the first place or maybe even limit the impact that it could actually have if something was to go wrong. You know, many times you look at even board of directors, you know, a lot of them are not tech savvy. Mm. And when, they, when they're hearing, you know, these big buzzwords and gobbledygook that when they're sort of being presented, the thing that I've always encouraged a board of director to do is just sit down and ask the question, sorry, I don't understand. Explain that to me again and try and break it down into like, some sort of, uh, you know, lay terms where anyone can understand it. And if someone can't break it down where they can understand it after a couple of goes, ask yourself the question, do we really need that? Mm. And that's going to challenge people because that also challenges them to go back to the drawing board and think, how do I communicate this better? You know, how does this align to what the business is actually doing as opposed to me just thinking, let's just go down my little path of what I'm thinking we should actually be doing to secure the business or roll out some technology. It's more, you know, let's get more aligned to the business, where they're thinking, what we need to be doing, and then try and get some sort of synergy there and actually execute on that. I've always been that person to be like, I'm not really sure exactly what you mean because it's obviously someone super technical in the room and they've gone down a rabbit hole super detail which is absolutely fine but I'm like I'm lost and then it's like after that, everyone's like six people would go oh yeah I was just thinking the exact same thing you were thinking but I was too afraid right so you're gonna need people in your, in your team or your company to ask those questions so as a leader uh, of you know what you've done at, at McAfee and what you're doing at Palo Alto how would you sort of encourage other people that their staff and their teams they shouldn't be afraid to put their ideas on the table they're not going to be shot down it's I don't think we've quite nailed that yet because there's still a little bit of that old school, well, I'm the boss, so therefore you don't get a say in how we operate. There's still a little bit of that. I've experienced it myself in my career working in large corporations. You'd suggest something, it was shot down, and then as a result, you kind of feel like you're beaten down and you kind of give up in the end and you don't really want that because that's not going to enable a company to to move forward in there, whether it's a security perspective but even just a business point of view as well. Yeah, look, I, I just think even if you get shot down, uh, dust yourself off, try it again. You know, I think the biggest thing that we should always ensure that we do at some point in our lives, every day of our lives, really, be the protagonist. You know, make sure that you are the advocate or the champion to a particular cause or an idea. And look, you know what? It may actually be a bad idea. But I think the more that we talk about it, the more that we're going to start to share some of these ideas with other people and others are going to start to probably help build on those ideas as well. 
you know, if I think about from a cybersecurity context, many times, and you've seen this, you know, even recently in the press as well, we're not sharing a lot of information about how an attack took place. You know, sometimes there's a lot of fear about that. Um, you know, people don't want to expose themselves that they, you know, they didn't do something. The reality is many people probably didn't get a chance to do something, but let's call it out. Because I think that actually plays to the advantage of the adversary where they can just rinse and repeat and go from company A, B, C and do the same thing over and over. I would rather call it out because maybe it's just going to force them to go back to the drawing board and come up with a new novel way or a different technique to try and launch an attack. You know, let them work a little bit harder for it. Uh, I think it's it's incumbent on us to actually you know, be that voice that just sort of calls it out and says, hey, let's actually do this. These are the reasons why. And I think we need to sort of, you know, push an idea based on fear, uncertainty and doubt because, you know, especially in Australia, people will call BS on that one straight away. But mm. I think it's more a case of just call it out. You know, th this is the time that we need to start calling things out because, you know, challenges are popping up every single day. Businesses are moving 100 miles an hour. It's inevitable that we, it's a foreseeable event that we're going to see something happen. So now's the time that we can start thinking about fixing that. Do you think that companies aren't sharing the specifics of an attack because they feel vulnerable, they feel like other people are going to be judged? And I mean, there is instances, and I'm not going to say publicly who the people were or the companies, but there are companies that were breached and people on LinkedIn were basically just slamming them. And I thought, why don't you try to help them rather than, you know, let's try to generate perhaps some camaraderie rather than being uh, quite malicious and saying awful things that doesn't really help a the company be the situation and see the overall uh, vibe in the industry and I was really shocked from that and I thought what if that happened to you how would you feel if the guy beside you was then sort of laughing and joking at how something that's happened in your organization and how that would sort of pan out I see that happen time and time again I'm not really sure why that's the case and I think maybe there's a bit of ego in there but I think we just really should remove that and we've all got well, well I would assume we've all got the same objective and perhaps sort of unify more on that front absolutely agree I think it, it's a when, when, it, when you see things like victim shaming I think that's absolutely you know dreadful because they're they're going through a very bad time right now the last thing they need is a whole bunch of other people thinking that they know it all. And mm. a lot of the times we don't even know the, the, the ins and outs as to exactly what happened. So no one's really in a position to sort of kind of really come out and say anything. I think more and more, uh, I'm definitely seeing that a lot. And I think for me, we want the victim to win, period. Like that's the only thing we should always be thinking about every single time. How do we ensure that we can get someone over that bad day? But how do we ensure that we're doing it in a right way as well? How do we ensure that you know, think about the, the messaging when something goes out, an organization's actually being breached. You know, within a breach takes place, within 24 hours, someone probably comes out and they're in the press and they say, you know, we've been hacked and they typically call it a nation state. You know, I'll call a spade a spade. If you're not a government organization, calling out and saying, and even if you're a government organization, mind you, calling out and saying that you've actually been attacked by a particular nation state, I don't think you even know what's going on within the first 24 hours anyway. You know, the truth is the best story. You know, own the narrative yourself. And I think there's a lot of learnings just simply from that, that we should really go out there. It, it's it's okay to not know. And it's okay, you probably won't know for a few weeks anyway, going through that investigation. But we want the victim to win. And I think we're just going to be very careful around, you know, shaming people. Because all that really does, it forces people to go back into the shadows, not talk about it. So we're going to keep on seeing undisclosed uh, data breaches take place. We're going to see people hiding behind you know, laws, regulations, and really just trying to work at how do I make this problem go away? And I think it's the wrong way. Because again, that plays to the adversary.
Why do you think people are shaming people online? Because it's sort of like, dude, you weren't even there. You, you don't even work there. Like, and why are you sort of wasting your time and your energy really sort of following this down like a serious path? Like, I, I sort of just roll my eyes and move on. But I just, I'm just curious at what your thoughts are. Why are people doing this? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think I really got a sort of an opinion. Um, many times I've seen, you know, if you use this product, that would have actually stopped that. Oh. Okay. I, I, I don't think that necessarily solves anything because at the end of the day, it's people, process and technology. And sometimes the tech may actually play a small part in the role. You know, saying that there was a ransomware attack and my tool would have actually stopped it. Mm. How do you know? Like that ransomware attacks are changing every couple of seconds anyway. It may not. So I think there's no point sort of going down that route. I just think it's just, wasted space you know i'd rather use that energy like you said let's actually rally around the organization or the individuals that work there and get them over that hump you know help out see what we can do because in the end it's that we've got a common adversary that we're up against you know adversaries plural uh so let's actually try and work out how we solve that problem even the last few things that we've spoken about now do you think sort of people lose sight of that like the common adversary the, the common goal we've all got it's almost like people sort of defocus they lose track and they start going down just one little thing but it's like cool this is the thing it's happened let's try to work on fixing it rather than doing a disservice for yourself and the industry by talking about it because you weren't there so you don't really have enough knowledge or insight or intelligence to speak about that but for me it's more so that should be the direction and I almost feel that there's this lack of focus then uh, on the overall goal and vision that we've got as why we're all in this space in the first place. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good one. I, I, th- I, think, I think people actually lose sight of it, uh, full stop. And I think it's, that, that's the thing we've probably got to realise that we, you know, anyone who's working in this industry and I won't just say it's simply the security industry, pretty much all industries, mm. you know, people are looking to disrupt our way of life, disrupt our economies, steal your information, prevent you from getting access to your systems and your servers and, and, and all of that. You know, that's, we need to try and stop that. You know, everything else is noise. And, and I just think that, you know, let's focus more on the problem at hand as opposed to singling out people and saying, you know, you did something wrong. What, really? I think that's just a waste of time. No, absolutely. And I think that hopefully that, I don't think that'll ever go away. I think... Yep. It's always going to be there, but again, it's about gravitating towards the people that aren't like that, that are going to do create change in the space. Would you say that other nations are less afraid of doing things different and are more forward-leaning, in your words, than Australia, in your experience? Uh, That's a good question. I think there are definitely... I think there's different... There's different organisations, and it could, and I don't think it's necessarily vertical specific, mm. even country specific. I think there's some organisations that are actually willing to take a chance, do something different uh, because they can, and maybe they're a little bit more mature that allows them to do that. You know, if you think about the world that we've got here in Australia versus in the US, you know, there's thousands of vendors that are knocking on people's doors in the US, and they've got access to technology that we probably won't even see for a couple of years out in, in this part of the world. So some people are a little bit more forthcoming to use technology that literally is you know in a company a stealth company right now a company hasn't even gone public but it's using some sort of cutting edge technology i definitely see that's probably the case a lot more in the us than it is here but i think equally there's probably some organizations here that are willing to okay let's go in and let's go all in and really do that and i think sometimes that's the risk and reward yeah there's going to be some challenges don't get me wrong but that's also the payoff that we sometimes can look for 
which is how do I actually sort of defend myself a little bit better than anyone else? Would you say it's also, I mean, I asked this question because perhaps it's, I mean, I obviously speak to people in the US, work with people in the US, and then when you're sort of dealing with people in Australia, I mean, in my experience before even doing what I'm doing now, there is that reservation there. Is that just because as a nation we are quite reserved, we don't necessarily like taking as many risks uh, compared to people in the United States? So for me, that's just something that I have seen in my experience, and I'm always keen to get people's thoughts or do you think it's potentially they're just a bigger population? There's just more people there. I think you've probably just got, it's the latter. I think it's just bigger population, different sample size of uh, kind of doing your surveying there. I think, look, change can also cause, like doing something that's very risky could actually cause a very adverse effect to your own organization as well. So I know that it's a, it's a balancing act there. Some people are willing to actually do that. I, I can think of some of the largest organizations in the world that literally will use the most cutting edge, bleeding technology to the point that's it's you know bloody as anything, but they are actually willing to do that and take that chance because for them, they actually know what material impact could actually mean. Uh, many times I look at things such as, you know, just even look at uh, life cycle currency of, of people using different types of versions. You know, typically it's X minus one would be the de facto standard that people would use. But many mm-hmm. times I see organizations that are like four or five versions behind. You think you're really putting yourself in harm's way here. You know, you really amassed a technical debt and at some point, you're gonna to have to pay that debt off and it's gonna probably hurt a lot more. So trying to maintain some sort of currency around that one, I think is key, but also making sure that you're doing it in the right place. Um, you know, we all have to roll out patches and that's a given. You know, we, we can't sort of walk away from something, uh, I won't say simple, something like that. But many times people turn and go, oh, I just can't understand why people can't get it out there. It's the basics. I, I don't even like using the word basics because when you start looking at larger organizations, rolling out patches could actually be a hard thing. And you start thinking about, you know, people start talking about change control windows and, and the like. There's sometimes that we actually need to live in a world of chaos as well because a, an attacker is not going to be working within your change control windows. You no. know, you think about how people sort of work. It's like we've got to actually start building a world in our own organizations that's really based around resiliency. Yes, something will always go wrong. How do we actually ensure that we can mitigate that as and when it's actually happening? You know, sometimes we're going to have to roll out patches as and when they actually need to come out. You know, if it's, it's immediate, done, push it out. If it's going to break things, that's probably better than actually doing it when an attacker is going to try and sort of bring something down. I remember doing some penetration testing years ago and someone was like, oh, just don't hit those particular servers there. And I think it was like Vax VMS servers, which probably was running some very uh, key things for an organization. And you think, hang on, just by doing a pen test there, that would automatically bring the system down and you're worried about not doing that. But if an attacker did that, that's like, it's okay. You think, okay, well, sorry, I've, I've missed the plot here. What's actually going on? So I think we're just going to sort of frame things and just think sometimes we don't have an opportunity, but also it doesn't mean let's just break everything and, and run sort of our organizations like the Wild Wild West. That is a very good point. Would you say in the last few years, though, if, from your experience and things that you've seen, that people are leaning in to perhaps take more chances than perhaps they have historically in the last sort of 10, 20 years? I think we, I think we have. Yeah. Uh, I think we've actually definitely got into a better place. Uh, if I think about just the last, you know, let's say my last six years whilst I've been at Palatine Networks, I've definitely seen a big shift in the industry where just everything around what cybersecurity actually means, how a business needs to be thinking about it, the conversations that are actually taking place, uh, how we're leveraging technology, how we're leveraging it and fine-tuning our people and processes the right way. I think there's definitely been a big shift. I think there's more work to be done, but it's always going to be there. We'll always have more work to be d- to, to do. Uh, but I think it's just 
slowly, slowly, we just have to keep on chipping away, but hopefully we can get to a point where we're doing it a lot faster than we probably have. Would you say that that shift has sort of derived from the maturation of we're speaking about it more, there's more awareness, uh, the media is speaking about it more. Would you say that that's what sort of probably moved the needle for people leaning in and taking more chances? Yeah, look, I would say all of the above. So everything from the media to all of us talking about it as well. You know, people always talk about and say that, you know, in a board of in a board meeting, it's one of the top three items that's always discussed. And you say, great, I hope it actually moves beyond talking about it and we move to the execution phase. And that's something that I actually challenge people to think, is it really moving to the execution phase? Because we can talk all about it as much as we like. Uh, but I think more and more, the more that we keep on talking about it, the more that we raise awareness around it, but doing it the right way. So not trying to scare the bejesus out of people, but really around, make sure that they can understand what is the challenge that actually applies to us? What does it mean in our world? And if there is a breach, an executive should actually sit there and go, I'm going to ask everyone inside the exec leadership team, could this actually happen to us? If yeah. so, how do we actually try and work, work it through that? So we just need to have these conversations. And I think that's a good place to be. So how would you sort of advise a leader who's perhaps uh, apprehensive about forward leaning? So all the things we've sort of discussed today, again, someone sitting, listening to this going, oh, uh, you know, I'm a little bit scared to lean in because I'm afraid that if I choose a technology that's risky that I could get fined. So how would you sort of encourage someone that obviously you don't have to take it to the stage where it's things are super risky, but to start sort of thinking down that line to perhaps create innovation in their company? Look, I think the, the best way to start is to just start exploring and discovering what it could look like. Because it's, it's great to say, I would like to lean forward and I'd like to do all these different things. What does it actually mean? And I think that's start that process. And maybe call it a bit of a you know, self-awakening and to, to really try and realize what, what is the art of the possible and, and really sort of breaking that down. I think when it comes to different types of technologies, it's always going to come down to the risk appetite. And a business only knows their own risk appetite. I can't turn around to an organization and say, your risk appetite is this, because I don't really know how much they're willing to take on board. And from a risk management standpoint, we've really got four choices. Either going to accept it, mitigate it, avoid it, or transfer, if there is a way that you could actually transfer anyway. And I think a lot of the times, they're just going to fall into that camp. There's no point spending a million dollars to protect $10. You know, so what are the things we're just going to say, well, I'll accept that. You know, avoidance could be something like take a paper backup copy of every single bit of data if you want to try and prevent a data loss issue. Well, it's probably the most cost prohibitive way of doing it. Is mm. it really going to stop a data loss? No, not really, but at least I can actually provide, I can still keep my data. But there's, I think there's things we just need to sort of think through every single time, you know, likely impact probability and go through that. And if we put something in place, what is the real impact? And I think many times people have seen, I've seen many people actually procure technology and literally will stay in the box the whole time. And they would never have any money assigned to actually roll out a project. And you think that's just crazy. So I think a lot of times we need to think about the continuum of, if I was to go down the path and use maybe let's just say technology X, what is it really gonna cost me? So what's the operational expense around it? And if you've got technology in place today that you're already using, how much does that really cost? Because I think in order to disrupt yourself, sometimes you really need to ask yourself the hard questions of what's the pain that we've actually got today? And there's gonna be some level of pain. You know, you, you may be paying for it, maybe paying too much for it. You may be throwing, you know, too many people at a problem when it's probably best served by leveraging some more automation, less people. Because I don't mm. think we can keep on throwing people at the problem. If we train 7 billion people on the planet to be cybersecurity professionals, we'll still lose. Because the attackers using automation, we need to start thinking about leveraging automation for ourselves. 
and get the people to be better equipped, better armed, because they're being complemented by what the machines can actually do for us. Mm, no, you're absolutely right. I was speaking to someone yesterday and he was saying he was working at a company and like the predecessor had left and it's like, I don't know, some vendor product was there and no one had used it. They were spending all this money on this licensing and all this. He's like, so who uses this? And then everyone was like, oh, no one does. Who knows the previous guy, but he left like eight months back. <laughs> So no one's asking these questions, right? Like, why are you why are you renewing licenses for things that you, you're not even using, or even they didn't even know how to use it then? Oh well, he left. Don't know how to use it. Like to me, yep. like that makes me so angry that people aren't even thinking. Like you know, we're we're spending money on things that we're not even using. Yep, it happens a lot, and it's, I think I, I used to. I think I probably take it at a, and obviously it's based on pure assumption. But I would say the majority of the times we're probably extracting 10, 15% value out of technology that we probably procured. I've seen people go out and buy technology and you think, hang on, you've got something in place today that could do that literally as a feature or function of a capability you've already got in place today. Yet you're going out to market for another piece of technology and think one that just adds extra complexity because I've got yet another piece of technology to start to manage. Mm. That's got an operational expense to it as well. And I'm now starting to double up on solutions that I've got. I'm like, I, 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 don't, I don't get that. I think that's where we're just going to have a look at ourselves and understand what are we doing today? Where do we want to get to? You know, is there a way that we can start to consolidate? Because consolidation is, is a key. I don't think it's a case of let's just drop everything we've got and, and move on to something else. I think there's a time and a place as to how you're actually going to do that. I think mm. about the approaches that people are taking. Uh, I think the platform approach works. You know, we, we've gone down this route of buying the best of breed solutions that many were never designed to interoperate and work together. You know, whereas a platform that's natively put together, it's natively got the technology working together, I think is going to solve a better outcome for us. It's going to be easier for us to, to operate. Uh, take that approach. 10 to 15%. That's pretty low. Yeah. Do you not think that people are asking like, okay, we got to call this vendor, we got to call these vendor guys up, ask how it works? Like I've heard multiple times, vendors come in, deploy something, then they're out. They don't even teach people how to use it, or they teach one guy, he leaves, no one picks it up. They're not even being proactive in saying, hey, we can come to a workshop, we're gonna walk you through it, you know, do demo, all these types of things. No one's really asking that. Uh, and then I guess like as a result of that, that's probably why people do get frustrated with vendors, right? Because then. Yep one person does it wrong and then everyone gets painted with, with the same brush, which is completely unfair and not right, but I guess it is what it is. Absolutely. Happens all the time. And I think that's where it's just one of those things. And look, you know, obviously working for a vendor as well, I, I could sort of take it on board too, but you know, it's a partnership here. Let's work together and actually trying to solve the outcome, which is let's ensure that one, we're meeting the requirements of what you initially were looking for. Mm. Two, how do you get more out of it? You know, I kind of just think that many times I'm trying to work out how do I sweat the asset a bit more? And it's not just simply from let's keep the asset even longer, but more how do I get the best out of the capability that I've actually got in place? How do I use less people? And less people doesn't mean that I'm going to try and fire people. Mm. It's more around how do I actually just get a better outcome? You know, less resources are actually required to run it. And sure, it's going to take some time and effort to actually get things working. But in the end, I'm probably going to be better off. And if I'm not, Ask yourself the question, is it the right piece of capability that you actually have got in place today? No, I love that. I love how you said, like, how, how do you get more out of this? And I think that not enough people are asking that. I mean, the people that I've spoke to, I don't think not enough of them are asking, like, how do I get more out of this vendor? And not from a, you know, blood from a stone, we're trying to take you for everything, but in a way of, like, if we're only using this 10 to 15% of its capacity, what else can it do? 
And you were you within your rights to ask those questions? Yeah, correct. And I think it's also incumbent on vendors to also ask the question mm. to their customers, you know, because we're looking to ensure that we can achieve, you know, the right outcome for an organization. So we would we need to make sure that we're actually sort of asking those hard questions. And you know what, if the customer turns around and says, I don't want to use you for anything more than X, okay. But just so you're aware, there's a whole bunch of extra capability that you've actually got at your fingertips at no cost. It's going to be easy to do that, but better than you actually going out to market, getting some new technology, adding some extra people and resources around it. Just make it abundantly clear, I think, is the, is the, is the takeaway to that. I think it's because people feel overwhelmed. And then it's like, okay, so you do this one thing and now you're doing an extra of 20 things. For example, right, arbitrary numbers. I think people feel quite overwhelmed in that conversation that they now need to be across all these other things. But they've already started to go out to market and do vendor analysis on other uh, companies out there, for example. Absolutely. And it's, look, sometimes it could also be a case of, you know, a procurement rule or some sort of, you know, probity challenge, just a whole bunch of different things like that. But again, ask the question. And mm. if it is one of those weird and wonderful things that there's, you know, some sort of nuances or anything like that inside the organization, challenge it. Ask it. Why Why do we actually do this? Because it just makes no sense if you're going to be spending double the amount of money and it's going to cost us a, long, a, a lot of money to actually get to that sort of outcome. Why are we doing it? Uh, and I think that's where we're going to probably start. If we start asking a lot more of those questions of why can we not do something different? And I think... You know, if we start challenging ourselves and executing on that as well, I think we're going to be in a better place. Absolutely. And I guess one of the, uh, probably the million dollar statement that you would hear, I guess we all would hear is, we've always done it this way. And I guess from my point of view, I think it then clouds people's judgment of moving forward and doing something different because they're sort of falling back and saying, well, this is the way I've always done it, John, for 20 years. Why would I do something different? And then I guess as a result of that can do a disservice from a security point of view. Oh, look, absolutely. And I think I've probably said it too many times. And I think it's just one of those things where we just, we have to walk, we have to move forward. And I think the only way that we're going to do that is just challenging ourselves every time. Uh, we are looking to ensure that, you know, we, we want to make the world a better place. And I think the only way that we can do that is really questioning ourselves, what, what is it that we're actually trying to achieve here? You know, using terms like, oh, this is the way that we've always done it, does not help us move forward. And I think that's where we're just going to try and break a lot of those notions uh, and ideas as to, you know, let's do something different here. Absolutely. I think it's about having that conversation to drive innovation. And I think also having a level of humility that you're not going to get it all right. You don't have all of the answers. No one on this planet has all of the answers to everything. And I think asking those questions and then saying, we don't have the answers. We're going to get people that do have the answers in that particular area, for example. Like, And, and having that, that vulnerability there to be able to say, like, I don't have all of the answers and we don't have it all right, but we can lean on people and lean into people that do have the answers. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's an absolute key thing. So no one will ever know all the answers. And I think that's the community aspect that we really need to try and foster. And there's definitely pockets of it. You know, there's little sort of trust groups that people have got, their own little communities, but we need to work out how do we start to share this a lot more. How do we also start to bring in other people into the fold? Because it's great if you're, you know, let's say one of the top 10 organizations in the country, how do we actually help the little people? And by that little people, I actually mean, you know, 96%, I think it is, small to medium enterprises in Australia. They actually are the underbelly of this country. Mm. And if they go down, guess what? We're not going to be able to do a lot of things at that top end of town. So we're going to start thinking about how do we do that? 
because they are our suppliers. They're also our supply chain and in turn, effectively a risk to our own businesses. And I don't mean that in a negative way towards them, but someone's going to try and attack them to get to you. So how do we help them? Because they're as vulnerable as anyone else's. That is an interesting point of knowledge sharing. I've spoken about this before. A lot of people that I've interviewed or speak, people that I speak to, they say that we don't have a lot of that in Australia. Why do you think that's the case though? Uh, look, I think it, just, it, it depends probably what uh, people are seeing as a barometer around do we or do we not have it in Australia. There's many groups, I think everything from the financial services, uh, you know, so they've got the interbank forum, uh, that's a number of the financial services are all sort of part of, and work together. You've got CISOs have got their own little network. Uh, you've got James Turner with the CISO lens. So there's, there's a number of little groups there. And I know even sort of people at, let's just call it at the analyst level, they've got probably more of their ad hoc little trust groups. But I think the key thing is we've got something here. Is it best in class? I don't even know what best in class would probably be, but I think you know more is better. But let's ensure that we're not um, you know covering people with too much information because then it just becomes noise. But mm. let's ensure that we're doing it the right way. And I think the right way is we just need to have those sort of open lines of communication. People need to ensure that if we're seeing, you know, let's just say from a threat perspective, how do we automatically share that with everyone else? You know, not just simply I'll send an email, you know, how do I reprogram my technology according to a threat that someone else is seeing? You know, I'd love to do that because I think that's an area that we need to get to because we are talking speed and we have to leverage speed as much as we possibly can to defend ourselves. Definitely have loved and enjoyed some of your insight you shared today. I think those are really strong but hard questions to start asking. Uh, I don't think that's going to necessarily be easy. I mean, it's easier said than done. Uh, but again, it's going to potentially get people offside. You're going to ask people questions. They may not like it. But again, like you said, you may get shut down, but you stand up and you do it again because you're there to, to solve a problem and by not saying anything and not asking the questions you're probably not going to to get to that end state so sean i've really really enjoyed our chat i really appreciate your time that you've given here today if people no perhaps have a question for you that i didn't ask you today how can they go about getting in contact with you probably just jump onto linkedin send me a message that way it's always going to work best but uh, thank you really appreciate the, the chat too awesome okay well sean uh really look forward to getting you back no worries thank you very much Thanks for tuning in to KB Cast, the cybersecurity podcast for executives. We always value your support and would love it if you could leave us a review or a comment on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And that's always appreciated. Till next time. <laughs>